This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Hey, financial advisors, are you looking to add or switch custodians? Are you going independent? Interactive Brokers provides low-cost trading and turnkey custody solutions for all size firms. Trade globally from a single integrated master account with no ticket charges, no custody fees, no minimums, and no tech platform or reporting fees. Plus, IBKR has no advisory team or prop trading groups to compete with you for your clients. Switch to the custody solutions that work for you at ibkr.com slash RIA. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Here's some great advice. Don't let kids play with matches. Builders are feeling the pain, rates only going higher. And Jeremy Siegel predicting the bottom and a pause. Divergence, economic reality, and execution. Tale of two stocks. All this and much more on episode number 791 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Well, happy almost, almost Thanksgiving. Chef Andrew here with you this week. Talk to you about, well, we're going to talk about finance, but we're also going to talk about some of the things that we're doing for Thanksgiving because it's coming up and here already. And that means the year is almost over. Incredible that that is the case. And yeah, I say that all the time, but it really just seemed like this year chugged along at a really fast pace. And maybe it's because the the chance to get back out there in 2022 versus where we were in 2020, clearly, and to a degree in 2021. And by the way, I'm in Florida when we were pretty much always available to be out there. But this year, it seems like more parties, more things happening, more gatherings, more dinners, more people that are desirous of spending some time with each other in each other's company, in the indoors, without masks. It makes for a better world. It does. I have a few things that I'm going to talk about today, things that are really, how do I put this lightly and pleasantly and nicely? Pissing me off. I mean, there are some things that are going on right now in the world of finance that I got to tell you, in all the years that I've been doing this, I've seen a few of these kinds of issues that have come along, these kinds of things that have been disruptive, then even further destructive. But I got to tell you, the hubris, the, 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 just the outright lack of any kind of due diligence is shocking. It's shocking. And it really is making me angry because what has happened it, it, is that it has sucker punched all of us to a degree, some more than others, some less than others, to say, oh, yeah, okay, maybe we don't have to do the due diligence there because all these other guys are doing the due diligence. Oh, these 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 wonderful people that are in the in, in, in the in the boardroom are just doing an incredible job. Why? Well, it must be, I, I think. Well, well, I guess. 
I don't really know why. It just seems like they're in the boardroom, so they must be doing something. Fact is that there's a lot going on that is not even under the surface anymore. It is outright in the open and has been blatantly false. Fraud. And it is pissing me off. First, though, a lot of you have written me, and I'm not exactly sure why, but you want to know what I'm cooking up for Thanksgiving and, and how I'm preparing it. And I will tell you that I'm going to keep it relatively simple this year because we have a, about 20 people coming over, and I've asked a lot of people to pitch in. You know, one person is going to bring the cranberry sauce, which you can make from scratch, supposedly, but it's easy to get it from the can, let's be honest. Uh, and it tastes pretty much just fine. It's cranberry tart jello is what it is. And then we have things like the stuffing. I outsourced that. I am going to be doing two things. Very simple. First, from the Chick-fil-A recipe where they make that wonderful chicken sandwich, I am going to be brining turkey breasts, several turkey breasts, brining them in pickle juice and other spices, and then putting it on the smoker at about 180 to 190 degrees for probably about four or five hours, give or take, making sure it doesn't dry out. And hopefully that pickle brine, the pickle juice, is going to get very deep into the turkey breast because I'm not going to do the full turkey, just turkey breast, but a few of them. And it's going to create a very wonderful flavor with a lot of juice. I'm also going to be making a pile of fresh homemade sausage, Italian sausage and peppers. So the sausage is homemade and the sausage and peppers are homemade. And this way people can have a little bit of that. They can have a little turkey. We'll have some of the Sweet potato casserole. We'll have all the other good stuff that, you know, we want to eat. I am not allowing for a pumpkin pie, apple pie, blueberry, or some other chocolate item. Uh, and other than that, we're probably going to have some schnapps. I make brandy, and I have about 100 and, I guess about 120 proof. Mm, that doesn't sound right. Yeah, about 120 proof. 60%, yeah. Uh, a plum brandy and fig brandy that I made years ago, that I'm going to break out. It's going to be good, but everybody's going to bring a little something. All right, now, should we just get right down to it? I think so. Let's talk about what's going on. I, let, let's start out right. What the hell is going on in the world of DeFi, and decentralized finance, in crypto, maybe even centralized? You know what? For those of you that want to listen to my words right now and you want to hear only what you want to hear, do me a favor, just turn off and just, just, just fast forward. Because I think we all need a wake-up call to what is going on right now with regard to what's happening in the area of the, 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 the companies that are out there peddling dreams that are really nothing more than falsehoods. What I'm seeing right now, the way I am looking at it, is more like a scene from the movie Caligula. And if you haven't seen that, look it up. Then a trading exchange. Everybody is trying to F everybody just for a piece of the money pie. And by the way, Caligula was uh, an old porno, but yet Roman kind of bizarre movie. It was just a lot of screwing going on. Let's put it that way. I mean, in every scene, there's somebody hanging out, if you know what I'm saying. Then they're killing people and they're torturing them. There's a scene that I recall, if I recall this correctly, uh, this is from like 25 years ago or something like that, but 
They would bury people up to their heads and then run them over with manual lawnmowers. I mean, this is a freaky movie. This is what's going on in the world of FTX and Binance and what's going on with Gemini and Genesis and all these other gangs that are doing this real screw job to everybody with falsehoods and, and incorrect assumptions, financial calculations that are nothing more than what a five-year-old could do and they would know better. But everybody seems to be just trying to, you know, the old song, I want to be a millionaire. They want to be a billionaire overnight. They, it, it's, it's, it's crazy that we're allowing children to play with matches with no supervision, also known as regulation. And I know you're going to say, well, what kind of regulation? Could you do it to companies in the Bahamas or in Antigua or whatever? Uh, aha. Uh-huh. That's why you don't do business with companies that are in the Bahamas or Antigua or in Indonesia or in, in, in some other place that has less regulation than you want it to be. And you have to ask yourself, why are those companies there in the first place? And I know FTX has a U.S.-based company that is obviously U.S. for U.S. citizens, and they also have a foreign base, which is the Bahamas, and those are for you know non-U.S. citizens, and those are the ones that really have the bigger problem. They allow for leverage and margin and borrowing and uh, shorting and all sorts of crazy things that go along with this whole area. But I'm asking you something. Who is really the stupid ones in this giant equation? Surely it's not these guys and these gangsters that created this crypto monster. And when I say crypto monster, what I'm talking about is not Bitcoin itself. I'm talking about the things they did with it, the way they corrupted it and bastardized the entire process. And it really is a lot of good reading that you need to do on what is going with this guy, Sam Bankman-Fried, and his whole cadre of, uh, I don't know, orgy goers that were all living together, sleeping together, working together on this whole force that came tumbling down in a week. Listen, could we, could we be honest for a moment with ourselves just for a second? The idea that participation trophies that we've talked about so many times over the years, but participation trophies in finance don't exist. Still, I mean, at the the same time, there's been plenty of free money that has been given away to startups along the way to crypto and, and, and well, just because why? Well, it's a great idea. It seems like, right? Well, how do you know? Well, they have a white paper, don't they? They have some concepts. They have Venn diagrams. They have colors. And they have a fast-talking pitch man in the front that makes it all look so great. The fact is that when we look at all of this and we break it all down, when you look at the Sam Bankman-Fried or the Chamath Palihapitiya, or you look at all these, you know, Pomp and all these other guys that have been pushing and prodding and poking, since when? as an investor, and particularly as a disciplined investor, do we get sucked into this whole idea of being pushed because of the promise of something that is, so why? Listen, you've been listening to me for one week or maybe even five or 10 years. When's the last time that I came roaring on here, pitching a product, pitching an idea? No, it's all about understanding the basic tenets of finance so that we could all profit handsomely over time, that's what the game is, but in a way that doesn't bankrupt us along the way. And this idea that was created by these, we'll call them non-boomers, the youngins, 
part of the original idea was that crypto was going to be there because we needed a change to the system. And that was clearly something that many wish to see. I have no problem with, you know, taking a look at what is going on inside of the world of finance and saying, you know what, that really did benefit these players or that players. Listen, the days of $75 commissions on a stock are over, and thankfully so. Who did that really benefit? We know. But unfortunately, though, what has actually been created is a movement that was pushing for change for the sake of change itself. That's the way I see it. And that is part of what is happening and that happened with FTX. Because I think it probably started as a good idea. I think probably when we think about where the genesis of the creation of this, just like all these things that run amok, probably started off with a very reasonable idea to create something that would be beneficial for many and with Sam Bankman-Fried looking to give back at the same time with what he made and the opportunity to help out others, I think this probably was a very noble and a very uh, good idea. No question about that. But what happened is it morphed into a pile of absolute dog shit. Leverage upon leverage was created, was applied, and it, 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 it created something that was a problem because the leverage was added on top of a product, a, a, a uh, an asset with no intrinsic value. And magically, we know it held up a while, attracted a lot of attention and money. I'm talking about the FTX tokens, right? But the problem for this company, right, this, co- this problem with, with, with whether it was the CEO or the CFO, Bankman Freed, whoever it is, it, it, it came when their plate spinner, right? Sam Bankman Freed and his young team, they were unable to handle all they were juggling. And we're finding out now, even more so, not only were they juggling plates and maybe even just a lot of workload, but they were juggling an entire fraudulent scheme in between multiple companies and taking assets from clients to pay back losses in other areas in their hedge fund. That's not good. And what happened was the crash was swift. The painful as it may have been, it was quick so far. But it's going to require years to unwind all this. And what it is really, as I see it, is a stain on what could have been a really decent idea. And it adds one more reason to distrust. And I know there's going to be a lot of players out there saying, oh, Horowitz, God, this is all a political thing because it was, oh, come on. Do you really believe that crap? It's not all about politics. While I do agree, there was a lot of money given to both parties from FTX. If you do your research, don't just think about what you read on on. on Facebook or you saw on Twitter or, 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 or anywhere else. The fact is there was a lot of money, tens of millions of dollars given to both parties from players inside of FTX to buy favor. So it's not just a Democratic thing or a Republican thing. Throw that out. 
And if you're going to do that and you want to just blame politics and that's what the cause of this whole meltdown is, well, where do politicians benefit from this? And if you're going to come up with some cockamamie discussion that this is all part of the plan to break the financial markets, or I'm not buying it. This was fraud. This was mismanagement. This was greed that was based on a group that has been trained to try to necessarily, you know, do for themselves first. But this time, the mistrust is of the people looking to make a change, I think. That is who is going to be mistrusted and should be. Because it's become, to me at least, it's become crystal clear that they are in it to be seen. They want, they want to influence at all costs. You know, back in the day we had, oh, you're going to be, you're going to have this 15 minutes of fame that is, you know, once in your life and it's going to be an amazing thing. And you know, say, so, oh, that, that was just 15 minutes of fame. It was on TV for this or that. That's, that's, that's not even anymore. Oh my God, 15 minutes of fame. No, no, no. Because today we need to be media, media relevant all the time, all day, every day. And it pushes people to do things that not, not be in their interest and, and may not be in others' interests. And, and the point right now is that from a financial perspective, we need to keep a close eye and a tight leash on, on really what's real and what's not. And that's hard to do. Right now, we need to keep reality in focus and illusion out of sight. That's as I'm thinking that we should really start thinking about this whole thing. What is the reality? What's the illusion? How do we discern the differential between the two and make sure that we block one and accept the other? Because money's not a toy. And I think those that think it is and that play with it are destined to lose it. In the end of all this, as you really go through and comb through a lot of what we're finding out, is that there's a lot to learn about this FTX fiasco. At the same time, don't blame Bitcoin. Blame the people. The people that used it to do harm. And let's not forget to blame all those that provided the participation trophies along the way. All those that provided the matches and allowed for children to be unsupervised with them and then being upset that, oh my God, they burnt the house down. Who would have thought? Right now, we got to stay the course on a path that is well known. And as far as Gump would say, that's all I have to say about that. Let's take a moment to give a little bit of nod to interactive brokers for a moment because I want to talk about something they have that's really cool. I don't, I don't know if in the past we talked about this much, but they have a a program, a, a, a product, if you will, called Event Trader. And what it does is it offers a pretty unique and new way to trade futures. And here's basically how it works. You could use event contracts to trade your opinion essentially on a yes or no question in key CMA future markets. And these include, of course, equities and energy and metals and foreign currencies, and then have an outcome that's based on did it happen or didn't it? For example, 
will the price of gold close above $2,000 today? Yes or no? Well, if you say yes and it closes above, hmm, good. That's a winner. Or will crude end above this price today? Yes or no? So what you could do is take a position daily on potential price movements and gain exposure while limiting risk. So this is really interesting because it's, a, it's an interesting way to trade futures in a binary outcome and knowing what the level of overall potential liability or risk, you know, downside you have. You could limit it. So there's not much else you have to know about this. That's what's so cool about it. And if you're trying to get involved in looking at futures and you're looking at, hey, I believe this is going to happen if this happens. So it's a concept based on if that then. That's all you need to do because it's simple. It's direct. And I think, again, pretty easy to understand. It's called the IBKR Event Trader. Pretty cool. If nothing else, I want you to check out more about it because I think, well, it's something you should really know more about. I want you to go to eventtrader.interactivebrokers.com, eventtrader.interactivebrokers.com, and check out all the really cool things that this new way to trade futures operates and how to get involved. There's a few things I want to talk about now. I want to, I want to go through some of the economics and talk about what Jeremy Siegel said and this idea of what's happening with regard to the differentials in companies, how some companies are actually doing pretty darn well and how others in the same industry are not and what that's all about. But let's start out with some of the builders' confidence. Now, we've been talking for a long time about the whole idea, but what, what, what's going on with the Fed? What exactly is the Fed doing and are they successful at it? Well, obviously, we know that they're increasing rates. They're causing all sorts of havoc in equity markets because those are the ones that first react, fixed income and the bond markets as well. Those are tied directly to in some way or another and pretty much in lockstep with, with when the Fed raises rates and what happens. So what happens is that we're going to see the first most liquid assets having the biggest reaction very quickly and spontaneously to a degree, but also correlated more, um, more with regard to what they're doing. And then, of course, we see it trickle down into the economy. And the economy, well, there's lots of places that happens. How do we see the reflection of what the Fed's doing on housing prices? Well, we see that because interest rates move up. And when interest rates move up, it makes it more uh, difficult for some people to buy housing because affordability, of course, is a big issue. And the higher that the rates go, the higher mortgages are. And therefore, it costs more on a monthly basis for the same house than it did a few months ago, uh, assuming the house has not adjusted in price. It takes a while for people to get away from their stubbornness and to say, okay, we're lowering the price down into a situation where we may be in a recession or going, going into a recession eventually. And when interest rates are increasing, well, we have to adjust the pricing. It takes a little bit longer because we have a lot of emotions involved and people have a, a much more warm feeling about their home than they do their stocks. One of the things we're seeing starting to flow through very dramatically, it's been happening for a while, is builders' confidence. And this is a survey that is done on a regular basis with the National Association of Home Builders, NAHB. And the latest re reading came in at 33. 33. Now you may say, what's 33? 33 
is extremely low. That's what 33 is. I think last month it came in at 38. And what's happening right now is that this is the confidence of builders. And there's a few different dimensions that are used in terms of current and future. And there's a lot of subtext inside of this report that looks at things like, you know, what are the, uh, what are, what are builders seeing in terms of walkthroughs and people actually looking at new homes, uh, buying, postponing, there's a whole bunch of things that happen. Well, in the end, we look at what the builders are saying. Builders are now reporting, about 60% of builders are reporting they're using incentives with a big increase in usage from September to November. So in other words, they're already seeing that they have to do things like buy down the mortgage on users. They have to do things that are not what we saw, which was very simply build a house and they will come. Now it's build a house, hope to God they come, and they're not going to come. Oh, my God, what are we going to do? we got to lower the price. we got to uh, slow down the production. we got to lay off, and then we got to provide incentives. So basically, builders are giving away toaster ovens. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, Google toaster ovens bank accounts from the 70s and 80s. It's already starting to trickle into the housing market. The Fed wants to bring down the prices. The problem is that there's a lot of houses that right now have a fixed rate of interest. Fixed rate of interest means that they really don't have any impact on what they're paying on a monthly basis. So if I have a mortgage that's $500,000 and a 2% or 3% interest rate on it, just because rates are going up does not mean that I necessarily have any problem. My housing costs, the raw housing cost, the mortgage cost, maybe insurance to a degree, maybe not moving up as much. If I am a renter, another story year to year. If I'm looking to buy a house, that's another problem as well. So we're going to see a slowdown in the home builders for new homes. Existing home sales are going to slow as well. And that's going to put some pressure on other areas of the economy. When we have less homes being built, less homes being revitalized. You have less need for lumber. We have less need for electricians, wiring, copper, you name it. Contractors, builders. This all brings up a lot of concern for the forward look at the employment situation. Now, you see, we talked about at first what happens initially when rates go up. It happens that, that we see a price change in bonds and stocks, and then it starts filtering into the economy. You know, we talk about, well, builders are going to feel it, and then the construction workers. You know, what happens then? Well, the construction workers are laid off. That is going to mean that we're going to have a higher incidence of people not working than not being able to afford certain things like, well, retail. But here we are in a place that we are probably in about the seventh inning, according to what the Fed speakers say, of where we are going to go with rate increases. On the other hand, there's a great, I think, a great interview with Jeremy Siegel. Jeremy Siegel here, you know him, he's the guy from Wharton School of Business, and, and he was interviewed by Joe Kern, another one of my favorites, by the way, from CNBC, who blocked me on Twitter years ago for criticizing his ridiculous one-sided view of the world from a Republican only, everything goes back to politics, ruining the early morning show Overall, not that talking about uh, Republican is a negative, but just not, well, it's a financial show. We should be talking about finance. It's not all about which bent of Republican or Democrat you are. It's just, you know. So here we are in a um, 
a, a place where he believes is probably closer to the end of the rate hike regime program. And what that means is the potential for markets to have bottomed. Jeremy Siegel, Professor Emeritus of Finance at University of Pennsylvania's Wharton School of Business. It's it's not attractive to, to like take a victory lap and just say I, say, I told you so and all this stuff. But do you want to do any of that right now, Jeremy? And what he's talking about right now is the whole idea that Jeremy Siegel talked about how, well, maybe it's going to be a pivot and there's going to be a big move in the market and inflation is basically peaking and all that. Anyway, let's listen to what he has to say. Well, I, I think I have been saying to you and others the last four months that inflation was basically over. Um, uh, that the Fed is using lag data more seriously on the CPI index than the PPI index. Uh, but the danger was being too tight, not too loose. Uh, the Fed rhetoric, uh, you know, higher for longer, um, it really would, would guarantee a recession. I, I think this moves up the pivot. Uh, all we need is for them to recognize what Prices on the ground are actually doing and they are not going up. Um, and the Fed can say, I mean, they're probably going to go 50 basis points, but that should be the absolute pause. I, you know, if I were there, I would say you could pause right now. Um, uh, but uh, uh, I think it's, the day of recognition is, is sooner. Now, now, here's the thing that I thought was really interesting about this conversation, because the thing that I've been talking about for a long time is the lack of ability of the Fed to properly gauge, really, the economy. And especially during a time when we have a reopening after a pandemic. It's not like we have that as the playbook. And the Fed is pretending to know what to do here. They don't know what to do. They do not. Let me repeat this. They do not know what to do. And they've gone really to a degree in the wrong direction several times. Anyway, what I thought was really interesting was the next couple of moments when Siegel was talking about that. Well, I think he, you know, I, I think they, you know, the pendulum has swung too far. They way underestimated inflation for so long. And it's like, hey, I got religion. Oh, all right. Now I just got to fight it no matter what. I right. mean, uh, no, I agree. Uh, yeah, and and uh, you know, I I you know don't don't want to be you know blamed on the other side, and I think he has to face the facts on the ground. Yeah, I was shocked at the news conference that that followed the September meeting when he said, I, I think now we have to be more aggressive. Uh, I mean, the November meeting than we were in the September meeting when the data was actually so much more favorable, and I think that that really you know one you know during his news. The market went up on the statement, and then during the news conference, it all went down. My God, what is what is he thinking? But, I mean, it, you know, it's a matter of time. I was also, you know, as I mentioned before, very surprised he was confronted with the fact that there are there are two housing indexes, one that's forward-looking and one is backward-looking. Basically, he said, yeah, and I like the backward-looking one better. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of said, oh, my God. Yeah, that that right there. That right there in the interview, that last 20 seconds where he talked about what is happening and how the Fed is utilizing measures that are backward looking in a time when we should be looking forward is absurd. It's crazy. Now, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Jeremy Siegel. I think he's an uber bull. Uh, I think he's just basically puts a 10 percent 
gain on the S&P 500 and earnings each and every year and just projects it forward. And eventually that will equate some time into the right numbers and adjust it here or there. And magically it works. Okay. I met him a number of years ago when his book first came out. The book was called, I think it's called Stocks for the Long Run. And it was groundbreaking at that time. He gave some crazy numbers like, you know, Dow at 25,000. It's like, oh, how is that going to be? But nonetheless, it was simple math. You take 10% a year and you multiply it over time and compound it over 20 years. You get to that number from where we were. Point is that while he is uber bullish and while he is, of course, uh, you know, a, a person they turn to when markets are down to perk him up. The truth is that he is right about that one particular item about the Fed's utilizing and the utilization of, of data points that are possibly erroneous, flawed. Because how can we utilize the same exact data that we used when I say pre-pandemic? I'm talking about when there was no pandemic ever to be looked at. How do we utilize that when all of a sudden things have changed so dramatically there is a different way of looking at a car, whether it's diesel, gas, or electric. You try to open up the trunk of one versus the other, it may not be the right place, but if you're always going to try to use the same exact mechanic to fix the car, you may be in bad luck. You may not, be, may not work out well. And in this circumstance, the Fed is trying to retrofit the use of their data and of their various statistics and overlay that in a time that it's probably not the best thing to do. And the reason why is that? Well, it just doesn't fit. So right now we are in a situation that the Fed is pretty much flying by the seat of the pants. <laughs> That's what's happening. And I think Jeremy Siegel uh, really illuminated that pretty, I think, pretty darn well. So that was a, a good little commentary from this week on CNBC. Uh, I, I want to finish off with a couple of discussions about, and thank, by the way, for those of you, I mentioned the IRAs last week at 401ks, and I got a lot of emails in. For those of you, we'll get back to every single one of you about how we can help you with your IRAs, with your 401k rollovers, with your pension plans, with your plans that are at a firm that you no longer working at. Um, we'll get to you. Um, we got to a lot of you, but uh, it, was, it was nice that uh, I did perk you up in that area. So anybody that is also interested in that, we'll uh, get to you as well. If you haven't sent in your emails yet or your comments, Go over to thedisciplinedinvestor.com, click on the Ask Andrew, send me an email, tell me what's going on, and uh, we'll, we'll help you out with your IRA, your pension, and uh, whatever else is going on. We'll make sure to help you get that straight. All right, what else do we have on my checklist? Oh, yeah, yeah. Execution versus the economy. So one of the things we saw last week was Retail sales actually doing a lot better than was anticipated. There were some soft spots in certain areas, but generally speaking, retail sales did pretty good as compared to where it is. We're talking about the fact that consumers are still holding on. They're still spending. The thing is, they've st they started spending on some things and stopped spending on others. The problem is that this flies in the face of what the Fed is trying to do, which is slow down the economy. So markets reacted negatively to that. Now, what's really interesting is what I saw in particular with a couple of companies was a divergence in how they are uh, profiting, what they're doing, and what is the end result on profitability for these companies. And during the pandemic, we know that we saw a major shift in consumer behavior. That was 
something that was very obvious. People were buying lots of desks and smokers and couches versus traveling because they couldn't and because they could because they couldn't. Now, coming out of the pandemic, everybody has, has enough couches, they have enough smokers, and they have enough desks. And they're like, uh, get me the hell out of here. I want to go. Get me on a cruise. Get me on a plane. Go somewhere. Train, plane, automobile. I don't care. Get me out. And that significant change required different things and maybe different clothing and maybe different shoes. But yet, I don't need another car. I don't need another, uh, you know, I don't need another mat for my front door. And there's a slew of companies that did and tried to figure out what this was. Some did well. Some failed miserably. The retail sector we saw on top of the report that came out, two companies in particular, Target and Walmart. And what was the difference between the two? It boils down to the economy and execution. Because you can have the best idea in the world for a stock or for a bond or for doing something, for any, any, any particular venture, but if you don't execute well, it's not going to work out. That's what happened with Target and Walmart, Macy's and Kohl's. Target down 8% this week alone and Walmart plus 5 After their earnings, a significant reduction in the share value price for Target. Walmart went up very nicely. One of the big differences is that Walmart has about a 20% total, give or take, uh, amount of revenue that comes in from their groceries. Target is about a quarter of that. That's bringing people in. Walmart's talking about people shopping and, and, and buying lower-priced items, going for hot dogs and beans rather than steaks and potatoes. One of the things that we're finding is that people that are the hardest hit with these higher interest rates, some layoffs to a degree, but higher prices due to inflation, are the lower-income earners. Those that are shopping in certain areas need to find more ways to stretch their buck. Where do they go? Well, they're going to probably try to do an all-in-one. They don't want to go to Target and then have to go to a grocery store and then go somewhere else. They're going to try to do an all-in-one like a Walmart. The execution, the ability to reduce the amount of inventory backlog was much better at Walmart versus Target. Target still had about a 13% quarter over quarter versus 25, but still they're having a significant amount of liquidation sales which we expected to happen. I would think we're going to get to the end of this with Target. And once that happens, profitability comes back. There was already some upgrades towards the end of the week of Target. So what we know is that execution matters. We know that. But we've also learned this week is don't let your kids play with matches. Don't let any kids play with matches. We also learned about pickle brining a turkey. Lots of things right there and cooking it. All this ahead of Thanksgiving, a short week next week. Markets close Thursday, half day on Friday. Only one day of, of important economic data, and that comes on Wednesday. And the data points that are coming out on uh, Wednesday, really not that important. So Monday, Tuesday, nothingness. Wednesday, so people basically going on vacation, heading into the end of the year. I think a lot of people are going to be breathing a sigh of relief that it's not a lot worse than what we thought it was going to be in 2022, even though... It is pretty darn bad out there. Knock wood, you know, we've weathered the storm pretty darn well. But in the end, the question still remains what's going to happen with 2023. We're going to get a little taste of that into the beginning of December. But right now, I think people are just saying, you know, 
it's time for turkey. It's time to relax. It's time to eat, drink, be merry. I wish the best for you and your family. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Have a wonderful weekend. If you need anything from me, you know where to find me over on thedisciplinedinvestor.com. Thanks for joining me. I'm going to see you again next week. Yes, we have a great guest coming up. Two great guests. We had a crypto discussion coming up. And then the great Ben Hunt the week after that. So we got a compliance expert in the area of crypto, which we're going to flush it out next week. And the week after, we're going to see, um, we're going to talk with uh, Ben Hunt from Epsilon Theory. Thanks so much for joining me. I'll see you again soon. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.